And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. The word of the Lord. Well, the search goes on. I don't can, I've lost track of the day. Day 14, day 15 of missing Malaysia Flight 370, which was on course from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing and suddenly veered off course, almost dropping out of the sky, so to speak. Right now, 26 nations are searching for this 777 with 238 people on board that apparently has disappeared. Never like this has something happened. It seems that the transponder and the communications equipment was deliberately turned off. And yet the plane has vanished from the face of the earth. There have been a variety of different theories that have come out to try to explain for this uh, occurrence. One is that the, the plane has literally disintegrated in midair. It was some sort of cataclysmic explosion and there's nothing left. Another is a theory of a fire that a fire broke out causing the pilots to divert the plane to try to fly back. But they all uh, uh, submitted to smoke inhalation and the plane just simply went on and on into the Indian Ocean until it went down somewhere off the coast of Australia. Some people are saying that it's suicide. The pilot was distraught because his uh, political leader had been jailed and so he basically took the plane and, and, and uh, committed suicide and just didn't tell anyone. Another is saying that this is a hijacking. But this plane literally veered off and followed another plane up into Asia, up into Pakistan, or somewhere in Afghanistan, and has landed and is somewhere safe. The, the hope uh, that many of the uh, families of these hijackers have, that somewhere this plane exists and is sitting somewhere. Finally, CNN got so absurd as floating the idea of a black hole that a small black hole, Mark Levin with CNN, appeared somehow swallowing this plane a la Bermuda style, a Bermuda Triangle style, and it is in an alternative universe somewhere. The simple fact is we do not know right now where Malaysia Flight 370 is. It's lost. It's out there somewhere. You guys know perhaps what it feels like to be lost. Probably geographically, Maybe spiritually, maybe emotionally, maybe financially. You know, it'd be great if life was cut and dry, wouldn't it? Here's the map, here's the journey, it's from step A to step B, follow the path, turn here, turn there, life is over. Isn't that great? But life is not so cut and dry, is it? We meet many turns and twists along the way, unexpected occurrences in our life. The Israelites certainly did. God had given them a mission to go and take this land. And lo and behold, this variable comes up. These people who they don't know, who come with this song and dance about being uh, people from far away. How should they respond? Ai was simple. God revealed to them. One of your people took the devoted things. That's why you could not stand against Ai. One of the, the sin of Achan and Jericho. But how shall they respond with this difficult situation? How shall they not become lost 
decision could be cataclysmic. What do we do when life throws us a curveball? An unexpected song and dance, a story. How are we to know? I have people who come to me all the time asking me, callers, what is God's will for me in this situation? How do I know? We've all taken a path, haven't we, sooner or later, where we took a wrong turn and we fell right off the cliff and it hurt? You know, if you're young, sooner or later it's going to happen. And we become so paralyzed sometimes that we're afraid to even take a step. How do we move forward into living this victorious life that God has seemingly called us to? How do we not make a dumb decision? I want to suggest to you that the most important thing in making a decision is not the means, but it's the motive. The most important thing in making a decision is not the how, but it's the why. See, this, this teaching teaches us something extremely important. That there is a true north. There is an ultimate objective that if we surround our life, if we navigate to that, if we make that the purpose and point in how we make decisions, we will never become lost. And this is what it is. That if you make the glory of God your ultimate objective, your north star, you will never become lost. I'll say it again. If you make the glory of God your north star by which you navigate, you will never become lost, regardless of the situation. The story is about seeking. It's about three seekers. First, the Gibeonites. Seeking what to do in this situation as the Israelites are coming. That's point one. It's about the Gibeonites. It's about, number two, the Israelites. What should they seek? How do they seek the counsel of the Lord? But finally, the story's about us. It's about how we are to live in the space of uncertainty. How we are to make the glory of God our North Star. Because if we do, we will never, ever be lost. Well, let's look at these three different parties. The first is the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites teach us a very important lesson. To seek his salvation, not their safety. Listen to verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan heard about what had happened, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Now this actually, in verse 9, if you went to chapter 9, if you went to chapter 5, you'd actually see almost the exact same language of where it says when they came, actually it's earlier than that, when they came, when all of them heard, it says that the spirit of them melted and there was no longer any courage in them. Something has changed where now they've found courage. they found courage to unite, to come together as one, to, uh, to take a stand. What is that? Because the uh, unfaithfulness of the Israelites with taking the devoted things and being defeated at Ai. And they showed the Canaanites that they can be defeated. There is a hope. And so these people have banded together. They're basically saying, if we, this is a numbers game, if we can get enough people out, we can take them. But the inhabitants of Gibeah, verse 3, they take a different strategy. See, they also heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai. But instead of combining forces with the other five armies, they acted with cunning. What did they do? They took their provisions they decided we're going to play a little bit of a, uh, a three-card Charlie here. We're going to play a game 
We're going to act like we're from far away. We're going to take our provisions and we're going to make them old. We're going to patch them up. We're going to pretend we came from a faraway distant land. Apparently they knew enough of God's law and what God had commanded the Israelites. Because God said if they're from these tribes, they should be wiped out. Wipe them off the face of the earth. But if they are from a distant land, you can go ahead and you can make a treaty with them. And so they are trying to convince them. They have this Hail Mary, if you will, that they're going for. You know, in some ways, they're like the prostitute Rahab from Jericho. Remember the Canaanite prostitute Rahab? Rahab recognized that this God who is coming is God over all and will be victorious. You see, the, the Gibeonites understood that. It says in verse 24 why they did what they did. Because it was told to your servants for certainty that the Lord of God has commanded uh, the servant Moses to give you all the land. It's for certain we're going to lose if we come up against you guys. If you go to verse two, uh, chapter 10, verse 2, it says that the Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. Okay, this wasn't a city of cowards. So it's a city of fighting men. But it was revealed to them for a certainty that the God who was on the side of Israel, that if they put their trust and went after him, if they battled against Israel, they were going to lose. See, like Rahab, they knew that the game was changing. But they were so unlike Rahab in another aspect. See, they said, the Gibeonites, they said that it was the Lord your God. But Rahab gave her own confession and said that the Lord your God is God over all gods, over heaven and earth. And she worshipped God. She made the decision that He will be my God. She, if you will, threw in her lot, hook, line, and sinker. She went all in. While the Gibeonites said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. They recognized His power, but they didn't recognize His character. They acted with deceit. See, they knew this law. So I asked myself, why didn't they do what Rahab did? If they realized that they couldn't lose, if they realized that this God was the God of the universe who had come, why didn't they just be honest and seek and confess and hope and throw all of their hopes rather than playing this game? See, you might say to me, well, the answer is simple, because God had said that all of these people must be put to death without exception. Well, then why wasn't Rahab put to death? She's a Canaanite. See, built into the law, my friends, there are certain provisions. You ever notice this? If you read through the Old Testament, God is angry. He's going to go and destroy these people, but they repent of their sin. Even after the prophet has said they're going, he's going to, God's going to destroy them. They repent of the sin, and God doesn't destroy them. Why? Because God's law of mercy over supersedes His law of justice. There is provisions built into the law. Rahab knew that somehow, and she was saved. But the Gibeonites somehow believed He won't accept us. We don't want a part of this God. We don't want salvation. We simply want security. This God is a vengeful God. Now you may be saying to me, well, wait a second. He is a vengeful God. He said this. He determined to put them to death. 
But here's the truth, my friends. Everybody has free will, including the Gibeonites and the Canaanites. What is free will? Ezekiel 18.32, God says this, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. God is taking no pleasure in the destruction of these people. Their sin has reached finally to God's limits where He can stand no more. But He's taking no pleasure in that. He hasn't bound them over to destruction in the sense of if they turn and choose and live, that God would repent. But they don't. Is that fair? Romans 8, 1.18, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to everybody, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, I'll be a water cutter 
you're looking for is security, not salvation. Safety and not a savior. What Jesus is looking for in Canaan land or anywhere else is worshipers, not waiters. I don't know if you like uh, studying nature. You ever, I, I was reading a little bit about uh, uh, the homing instincts of the salmon. These are the things I spend my time with, you know, in the magazine, homing instincts of the salmon. It's quite fascinating, these, these animals. You know, in, in Idaho, think of where Idaho is located. Sockeye salmon, Chinook salmon, will be born in the streams in Idaho. They will literally find a way to swim all the way into the Pacific Ocean, where they will live for one to four years, and then they will make the thousand-mile journey back, climbing nearly 7,000 feet back to the original place where they uh, came from so they can spawn and create life again. How do they do that? It's instinct built into them. It's a pressing need. They have to do it. They will die trying. You ever seen Alaska, you know, where the bears come out and they're just hanging out and the fish are like jumping? You know, if I kind of poked my head out and I saw an 800-pound Kodiak, I would say, I'm going to try next year, okay? I'm just going to go back. We'll try next year. Maybe they'll be here. Now, they're going to go or try dying. See, there's an instinct within them. God has put into us an instinct. But He gives us free will to follow it or not to our salvation, or to our perdition. He gave it to the Gibeonites. He gave it to Rahab, and He gives it to us. Why are you here? Why are you here in this building? Maybe you're saying, He's not interested in me. You don't know my past, Carlos. I'm one of those guys bound over to destruction. You were to see all the things that I had done in all my life, all of my thoughts, all of my actions. Surely I am one who is devoted to destruction, and there's nothing that I can do. But, what the heck, where else am I going to go? I'll come to church, I'll be a second class citizen, I'll be a water carrier or a wood cutter. I'll seek safety, but I won't seek salvation. So I'll deceive my way in. I'll look like everyone else, but I'll never truly give myself to worship. Friends, there's no such thing as a halfway Christian. Yeah, halfway Christian being a halfway Christian is like being halfway pregnant. You either are or you aren't. That's the way it works. And so are we like Rahab or are we like the Gibeonites? Do we recognize His power, but also do we recognize His promise? God is calling His people. What He wants is worshipers. People that look at Him and they say, I must have you. I choose you. I'm all in. I'm a salmon. I'm swimming upstream. Lest I die or not, it does not matter. I seek your salvation. I seek the goodness of the Lord. Because if we seek His glory, if we make that our ultimate objective, we'll never be lost. Rahab chose it, and the Gibeonites did not. Well, that brings us to our next group of people, the Israelites. What about the Israelites? Different type of seeking here, a discernment. They're seeking understanding about how to live. So the Gibeonites come along, they give them the stuff, they feel it, and they're scratching their head going, I don't know. And what 
does it say in verse 14? They did not seek counsel from the Lord. Why not? I mean, Ai wasn't that long ago, right? I mean, they got, they got whipped at Ai. Okay, this is life and death type stuff. They obeyed God. They finally sought counsel from the Lord. They, they, were, uh, they wanted Ai. And now these guys come along. There's this stubborn independence in them. They knew the rules, but they're so confident in their abilities. You know, it's like the Garden of Eden. Back over again. Uh, I'm a garden, more like Israel in the desert, you know? God tells them to go and do something, and then He gives them these tests. You ever notice how Christianity is so full of tests? He gives them this, this, this mission, and then here's the test. Where's the water going to come from? Where is it? See, faith isn't full until it's tested. Why does God do this? It's because God is working on the manner by which these people are to take the land. It's not enough to take the land. God is working on the manner and He's working on the motive. Here's the million dollar question. You ready? What was the purpose of Israel going into the land of Jordan? Into the land of Canaan? Was it to take the land? No. That was a given. Remember? I'm going to give this to you. It's a layup. That's already, see, that's the result of the victory. The victory is this. He wants to know how they're going to take the land. He's interested in the motive. What he is concerned for is the glory of God. See, it's in how we do things that reveals who we want to glorify. See, here's what's going on with the Israelites. The Israelites are saying, oh, we got this. Okay, we'll simple group, we'll make the decision. Uh, they're not going to cause us any trouble. We're going to be able to take the land, let's do it. Now, that wasn't what God was doing. God was saying to them, will you seek me amidst this journey? Will the manner in which you carry out this journey be dependence on me, and will the motive in which you carry out this journey be for my glory, minute by minute, moment by moment? So many of us ask the question, how do you know God's will? You know, non-Christians have a spider sense, but so do we. Do you know that? If you're a Christian, you have a spider sense. It's called the Holy Spirit. See, if you read the story, what you'll discover is the Israelites' spidey sense is tingling. Right? They know something is wrong. It's like, oh, I can't figure this out. I can't figure this out. You can tell they're acting with suspicion. Why don't they figure it out? Why don't they listen? Because the reason is that they are seeking their destiny more than they're seeking God's glory. See, we have not received the Spirit from the world, but the Spirit is from God that we may understand that God has fully given us. God has said He'll give us the Spirit of truth, this counselor who will walk alongside. And so therefore, in view of God's mercy, as Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, a spiritual act of worship to God. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Do you know how the Israelites would have very easily been able to test whether this was true or not? 
if they had committed this decision to the glory of God. If they had committed, whatever is the right answer here, we're not sure, God, but we want you to be glorified and lifted up. It was like the first thing they needed to do was take out their compass and they needed to spin and they needed to reorient to God being glorified. And if they did that, they would have been able to test and approve what God's will is. Just like that. See, we need an orienting principle of how we are to live. And for the Israelites, they thought it was taking the land. It was having a place for them to stay. Now, that's the result. That's not what the Christian life is about, my friends. It's not about peace. It's not about happiness. And it's not about joy. And it's not about contentment. And it's not about rest. Those are all givens. It's about learning to live your life for the glory of God. That's the mission that you're on. That's the purpose for your existence. I was uh, scuba diving one time in Mexico. I kind of like that line. Maybe I could be the world's most interesting man, you know? Scuba diving in Mexico, and uh, this was on my honeymoon, and I never, you know, it was the first time scuba diving, and we were doing this called a, it's a drift dive, okay, where you just kind of take the current, you know, and you're just flowing along the terrain underneath. Well, there is this place, uh, it, it's a wall, it's a drop-off, it's a dive, where, you know, literally it's at 60 feet, the ground is, and the thing drops to like 400 feet. And so I'm drifting out over this, over this uh, floor, the sea floor, and all of a sudden I drift out, and for the first time in my life, I'm looking at a place where I have literally no orientation whatsoever. Everything is blue. Everything. There's, there's, there's no orienting principle whatsoever. Now, I'm floating. I know I'm floating. I've got this buoyancy control device. But instantly, I was scared to death. Because I didn't have anything or anywhere to hold on. I had no orienting principle to guide me. It was only when I turned around and I saw the shelf and the drop-off that I swam <laughs> to get over something solid, even though I'm floating. See, the problem with Adam and Eve, the problem with the Gibeonites, and the problem with us is this. That we're missing the point, the orienting principle of our lives is the glory of God. Don't worry about the land. You're going to inherit the land. Don't worry about joy. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about... Are those things important? Absolutely. But Jesus is much more interested in the motive than the means. Jesus is never, ever worried about them taking the land. Have you noticed that? <coughs> the Israelites are constantly worried about taking the land. Jesus, God is constantly worried about the manner in which they take the land, and the Israelites don't seem to care about that at all. So what about me and what about you? If you are a Christian, your destination is certain. You are drifting into the kingdom of God on a pre-programmed route. But what God wants of you is the same thing He wants of Jesus. Remember Jesus in the garden? Going to have to die. He may have been God, but He was a man too. And He was scared. He was wondering, what, what do I do? This is going to hurt. I don't, 
can I go through with this? I know I need to, but at the same time, Jesus reoriented to what? The glory of His Father. Whatever happens, God, Your will be done. Your glory above mine. See, Jesus had the courage to swim upstream into the mouth of the bear, into the tomb itself. And because He trusted God, He emerged three days later, indestructible. The motive for you and me is the glory of God. If you make seeking the glory of God your ultimate objective, you'll never be lost. You get ready to go to college, you're thinking about that, well, which college should I go to? Bad move. 
Other side, it was a really good move. You know why? Because it was one step closer to God. The way this thing ends at the end, it's whoever is left standing following God. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep getting closer to Him. Keep looking to navigate, putting Him in the center of your life. By hook or by crook, find the way. If you don't have a Bible, go steal it. I will forgive you. I will give penance to you. Okay? First Bible I got lied to my parents. Actually went out on a date with a girl to go get a Bible. Okay? Is that shady? I don't know, but I'm here preaching the gospel. You know? Keep seeking. If you make seeking the glory of God your ultimate objective, you'll never be lost. Seek a salvation if you're not a Christian. Not your security. Seek His glory if you are a Christian. Not your destiny. And finally, never stop seeking until the very end. Because He's seeking you and He will bring you to the destination He's called you to. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You sought us. You revealed to us, not by our wisdom, but by your Spirit, that you are God and that you are good. I pray for those among us who may not even be Christians, who may be playing the game, who may be hesitant to jump up the river. Lord, I pray that they would throw themselves into your arms. Lord, I pray that all of us, that we would re-navigate, that with the goal of our life would not be a better house or a better car or a better job or even a better Christian life. The goal of our life here, Lord, and that we would navigate to it with every single decision, every single uncertainty, Lord. For you tell us that when we seek you, your kingdom, that will never be lost, 